This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, December 7th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. There appears to be an end to the so-called crypto winter. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, it's never too soon to put together a retirement plan. Let's get some advice on how to get going from Matt Matigan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers, based in Chicago. Find his blog at blueworldam.com. Matt, thanks for joining us today. One of the pieces of advice I got the moment I graduated from college was as soon as you have a full-time job and as soon as your employer gives you a, a salary with a 401k plan, start socking stuff away immediately because even though your take-home pay will be a little bit lighter, a little less beer money on a Friday night as a 22-year-old, you'll thank yourself later. Well, there's no doubt that's true. And because start early is the advice everybody gives, uh, I, I firmly adhere to the rule, everybody can't be wrong. So uh, that is certainly our first piece of advice is it really is never too soon. And just to put, just to put some uh, conservative numbers on it, to give an example, uh, if if you can average over the course of time to put away, say, $200 a month for 20 years at 6% compounding return, at the end of 20 years, that's about $90,000. If you make the same contribution at the same return for 30 years, you're right up there at about $200,000. So that 10 years... Uh, costs us over $100,000, that, that's $10,000 per year that we miss out on just for delaying that amount of time. Those are pretty significant numbers. 55% of Americans in a recent bank rate survey said they believe they are behind on saving for retirement. 71% of baby boomers, 65% of Gen Xers believe they're behind the eight ball, and about a third of Gen Z say they are behind. We tell people you should start saving the moment you start working, but generally when do people start socking things away for retirement? It's got to be way later than the age of 22. Yeah, it typically is, and that's unfortunate, uh, but it's also one of the things that, uh, you know, like, for example, when I was coming out of college, nobody was giving me that advice, but now uh, there's a whole lot of information out there, and people are being encouraged to start this early, and when you do get started, th this part is too easily overlooked. When you're getting started, begin by getting your accountant and your financial advisor on the phone together, 
because taxes can have a huge impact on returns over the course of years. So having them coordinate up front can really avoid nasty surprises later. And to the point that uh, you made earlier, always take the free money. If your employer offers you retirement money, in other words, a, a 401k plan, take it. Try to contribute the maximum amount they will match. But also, most early investors don't know that there are 401k plans out there that offer a Roth option. So don't forget your accountant at this point and always make sure to find out whether or not you can get a Roth designation on uh, part of your 401k uh, contributions. Matt Matigan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. You can find his blog at blueworldam.com. Coming up, believe it or not, there are some forecasts that say Bitcoin will eventually top the million-dollar-per-token mark. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's been a rough year for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but some analysts see a turnaround in a big way. Joining us now to make the case for million-dollar Bitcoin is Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management based in Glenview, the website senecalcapital.com. Bill, thanks for joining us today. You read all the stories about the collapse of FTX, new disclosures on a seemingly daily basis. Basis. A story in the Wall Street Journal this week that said accounting firms uh, seeing more red flags at uh, red flags at other cryptocurrency exchanges, and then you say, "Well, maybe there's a case to be made for a million-dollar Bitcoin in the future." Is that the equivalent of saying, "No, go ahead, touch the hot stove; you'll be fine this time"? <laughs> oh, that's a great analogy, Rob. But listen, I know it's an extreme statement what I'm saying about million-dollar Bitcoin, but it's not really without precedent. I mean, 2020, you has 2022 has been an amazing year of extremes and anomalies. The U.S. dollar made 20-year highs, energy, natural gas, incredible highs. Inflation indexes like the consumer price index and the producer price index all had huge increases to levels we haven't even seen in 40 years. And Bitcoin had an extreme rally from the COVID low of March 2020, March 2020 at $4,400 a token to 67000 in October of 2021 which was an incredible rally. And so now the idea is we have interest rates have gone from 4.4% down to 3.4% in the uh, 10-year treasury. We have the U.S. dollar now making uh, its third consecutive sell signal. We have uh, risk coming back on into the market as seen by the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. And so is it really that much of a stretch to say that if risk is coming back on, that Bitcoin could reach its projected price forecasting level by July 2025, which is a uh, million dollars per token. I mean, listen, look at this. DocuSign down 72 percent. Uh, Facebook down 66 percent in 2022. PayPal down 62. Zoom down 61. Netflix down 49. I mean, are any of these companies have the potential to provide a 100x or a 70x return in the next two years or next 900 days? I don't think so. But Bitcoin, because of its, uh, its deflationary prospects and, and attributes, because it's gonna, the, the rewards are getting cut in half by April 2024. So I know it's a stretch. I know it's an extreme statement, but it can be done. And we, you know, it's, it's a stretch to say it's going to hit 109,000 by the end of this year, but it is possible. Um, so let's just 
you know, let's stay open-minded to the fact that Bitcoin has produced amazing returns to portfolio. It still is a non-correlated asset, even though it's got dinged a little bit with technology. So, you know, it's still new and still early. When the dust clears and the SEC steps in, and obviously the the end result of the collapse of FTX and and all the the turbulence in the crypto sector is that uh, there will be cops on the beat, there will be laws, there will be regulations. What will crypto look like once it is governed by the same rules that all other asset classes are governed by? Boy, that's that is the really great question, Rob. And I would say that you know cryptocurrency correctly are unregulated securities. So the SEC has got that one right. You know, the problem with the FTX exchange is it is an unregulated exchange trading uh, in the Bahamas or wherever it was um, domiciled. And we saw that collapse recently. But Bitcoin, again, is recognized by the Internal Revenue Service uh, and the CFTC as a commodity. That's how it's treated. It's uh, it's decentralized. It is, it's not really regulated, of course, but, you know, this is kind of good. Just like um, we saw the Bernie Madoff, the Bernie Madoff situation, Enron, long-term capital management, you know, options being considered weapons of financial destruction after the 87 crash. We're going to get through this low. We're going to get through this regulatory time period. And the industry is going to be so much stronger, more vibrant, more transparent. And honestly, I think it's even a greater bullish case for cryptocurrencies aside from Bitcoin. Bill Ulaveri, owner of Cynical Capital Management, based in Glenview. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. The website, of course, cynicalcapital.com. Up next, health care benefits now the top priority for many job seekers. It's-, it's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Health benefits are one of the top priorities of people looking for jobs these days. Let's talk about that and other key benefits with Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm Two Discern, based in Chicago. Rick, thanks for joining us today. Of course, uh, when evaluating a job offer, obviously you look at the salary, you look at the uh, responsibilities you have, whether or not it's uh, intellectually stimulating, and everybody offers a retirement plan and health benefits. But how has the evaluation of health benefits changed over the years, especially since the uh, dawn of the pandemic three years ago? Sure. Well, it's certainly top of mind when you go through a three-plus-year pandemic. Uh, But let's just take a quick overview of where we are as a, for Americans. 17% of Americans currently name healthcare costs as the most important financial problem they face. And in the last, and during the pandemic, 37% of the population didn't go to a doctor due to the concern about healthcare costs. And healthcare is 20% of our GDP as a, as a, it's, you know, one fifth of the entire GDP is, is related to healthcare. And 58% of bankruptcies include medical bills as a primary cause. So we have an issue that needs to be addressed. The, on the other side of it, though, given the political rancor and chaos, the healthcare providers as an interest group, the health insurance providers as an interest group, and the, uh, the underserved consumers, uh, it makes it almost impossible for the government to do anything. Nobody wants to die on that hill. And at the same time, unemployment's at 3.7%, and there's still lots of job openings. So what is interesting to me in this is that there's a solution that exists independent of the individual. So if we talk about the individual, yeah, if you're, if you're a 20-something, you're not a big part of the risk pool, you don't cost very much to insure, and you can get health care. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you're somebody who's in the, you know, if you're a boomer, a late boomer, middle boomer, healthcare for you is a big concern, and it oh, and it has been for the last couple of decades. 
I think there's an opportunity for someone to step here and solve the problem uh, on, from a, a business perspective rather than let the government do it. And then when it comes to uh, these these uh, employer-sponsored health care plans, I think everybody kind of went through a big uh, premium hike a couple of years ago just due to the fact that you had so many people uh, retiring and moving off of the employer health care system and paying into that and moving into Medicare instead. And, you know, that was a big problem. The, you know, the premium cash has to come from somewhere. you got to pay for this care somehow. So sure. how, how are the employer-sponsored health care plans are going to change change and evolve to meet this new reality well it's if you're a, if you're a mid-cap company all the way up to the top it typically makes sense for you to self-insure now i'm by no means a competent benefits expert or a lawyer or any of that but when you look at the majority of companies whether they're privately held or public and tra- publicly traded they self-insure because they can control a lot of the, the maintenance costs of of health insurance which is a big part of it what I find interesting, though, is, you know, we've got this gig economy that we keep talking about that's out there, and no one has actually tried to capture that. And, and if you look at the staffing business, the staffing industry globally made uh, $224 billion in revenue last year. So Ronstadt, Adeco, Manpower, et cetera, they all have a business that could easily capture uh, a large part of these open jobs and people looking for health care by bringing them board full time. Now, that's a that's a big jump for somebody. It's but it's it, if you do that as a staffing company, now you have a monopoly on talent, which currently nobody has. And it's the it's one of the paths around the problems that we face right now in terms of, of solving the health care issue. Rick Cobb. Um, when you talk to him, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern, based in Chicago. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, the benefits of using a credit card for a major purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A case is being heard by the U.S. Supreme Court that could have a profound impact on national elections. Chicago Cubs broadcaster Pat Hughes headed to the hall in Personal Finance Wednesday using a credit card to maximize the value of a major purchase. And a top soft drink maker is getting into Christmas movies this holiday season. WBBM Business, the Markets are mixed. The Dow is up 61 points. The Nasdaq is down 24. The S&P 500 is up one. AccuWeather says clouds and fog breaking for afternoon sunshine. High today of 45. We have 43 degrees right now at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum announcing that Cubs radio play-by-play announcer Pat Hughes is the 2023 recipient of the Ford C. Frick Award. The annual 
annual honor goes to a broadcaster who's made a major contribution to the game. He's been the voice of the Cubs for the past 27 seasons and currently is heard on the team's flagship, our sister station, 670 The Score. Pat joins Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse as the Cubs announcers to receive the honor. The Supreme Court hearing a case that could eventually decide whether state lawmakers have unchecked powers to engage in extreme gerrymandering in an effort to impact federal elections. This is Loyola Law Professor and CBS News legal contributor Jessica Levinson. Who has the power to make decisions when it comes to federal elections? Is it just state lawmakers or can state judges act as a safety valve? on those decisions to protect our right to vote. The case was initiated by two Republican lawmakers in North Carolina to challenge the state Supreme Court's appointment of a special master to create a fair legislative map. WBBM Newstime 1232, the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The markets are mixed today. We're joined by Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, ClearSet Advisors, based in New York. Jim, thanks for joining us today. After two days of a sell-off, a prompted by fears of an impending recession. It sounds like traders are uh, catching their breath today and possibly looking for bargains. Yeah, well, don't, don't count too much on it, but uh, you did get uh, favorable unit, unit labor cost numbers this morning, uh, which were the, the, the costs were lower than expected, which is a better than expected result, which uh, lends credence to those who think that inflation has peaked and it's going to start to come down and that the Fed, after another 100 basis points, will be able to pause. That's that's the bullish case. The bearish case is all those senior bank executives yesterday saying they see a recession coming and it's only a question of when and how bad. So those are the two conflicting issues the market's going to deal with. How high do rates have to go and how much does that increase in rates affect the economy for next year? And we just don't have the answers yet. But we do get a PPI on Friday. We get a CPI next week. And then, of course, we get the Fed meeting, the Fed announcement, the pre- press conference, and the dot plot. So we have a lot to learn over the next seven days. And is, are, is, is the prevailing kind of conventional wisdom between now and Friday when the inflation numbers start to come out is uh, that you know, act like there's going to be a recession sometime in 2023, despite the fact, and I hate to use a phrase from 2008, the fundamentals suggest it's just not there yet. Well, if you, you don't know yet because you're right. It's just not there yet, and the economy has basically been stronger than expected, but you are getting increasing signs of, of a slowdown just emerging. And don't forget, all these interest rate increases, which only started in March, take effect, A, incrementally, and B, with a lag. So it's sort of like a weight being put on the shoulder of a runner. And, and eventually the runner does go to his knees or her knees or does not. And so that's what we're waiting to see as these interest rate increases work their way through the system. Is there going to be weakness next year that's not yet apparent this year? And that's what those senior executives were saying. Uh, Brian Moynihan, who's been very bullish on the consumer, said he sees a softening just in the last month or two. Wells Fargo said the same thing. Jamie Dimon, who's got a a pretty good uh, track record, said he sees the the excess disposable savings that people have from the pandemic will will be depleted by mid-year next year. 
So there's a reasonable case for a recession next year. The question is, is it mild? And I'd say the market's assuming at this point that it will be mild, that the Fed will stop with another 100 basis points, that there will be a recession, but that it will be mild. I think that's that's the consensus uh, of investors as we sit today. Let's look ahead to Friday and the PPI report, the producer price index. That's the prices that uh, businesses pay for goods that's eventually passed along to the consumer. Uh, the consensus is that uh, pointing to that the, the the reduction we saw in November is going to continue? Yes, but moderately, because the indices uh, are, me- are measuring past uh, uh, price action, and really it's the forward-looking action that you're seeing a real deceleration in. Uh, uh, more for the CPI than the PPI, but you got rents coming down, you have gasoline coming down, uh, and for the PPI, you have cargo uh, cargo ships prices coming down. So the real-time data is softening, and the PPI and the CPI will capture part, but not all of it. Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, Clearstead Advisors, based in New York. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and this afternoon we're discussing how using a credit card for a big purchase can yield some quality benefits. We welcome in Ted Rossman, Industry Analyst, CreditCards.com, based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. And when we're talking about using a credit card for a big purchase, that means you will eventually use those points for something down the road. Uh, what are some of the, uh, the, the the big purchases that we're talking about here, and how are some of the ways in which you can maximize those credit card points? As long as you can pay this purchase off before interest hits, I think it makes total sense to use a credit card. I mean, in some cases, you could be talking about something as big as a car purchase, let's say. Now, not all car dealers will accept credit cards Sometimes they will tack on a processing fee, so do the math. That may actually make this not worth it. But especially if there's not a fee, if you can pay it in full, I say go for it. Um, other things, too, appliances, let's say. I have a coworker who recently saved $1,000 on new appliances by signing up for the store credit card. They gave him 20% off the first purchase. It was a big purchase, and it was big savings. You could get cash back, you could get travel points, travel miles. The key questions, though, are will you be charged interest or will you be charged any processing fees? If the answer is no, I think it's free money. We pay off our credit cards in full in our household, and we have an airline credit card, and we use that credit card for uh, a renovation project last summer. And yes, it was <laughs> there were there were some big purchases uh, that were that were that were tra- that were executed as part of this uh, renovation project at our house. But uh, at the end of the day, we said to ourselves, you know what? We have five people in our family that we have to buy airline tickets for when we go on summer vacations, and this is the way to pay for those trips or at least make uh, that airline fee uh, a lot lower than it could be. That's a great idea. Yeah, I like that story. And I would also say that anytime you have a spending spike coming up, maybe it's the holidays, maybe it's a renovation, maybe it's some other big purchase, it can actually be a good time to sign up for a new credit card because often the best rewards are sign-up bonuses. And, you know, by getting a new card, you put money that you would have spent anyway on there, you pay it off, 
that can actually be a great way to turbocharge your reward strategy in addition to maximizing cards you may already have. Uh, you mentioned uh, the possibility of uh, putting a car on your credit card and that uh, there was a transaction fee involved. It's not the whole thing, obviously, because uh, the, the monthly interest rate you pay uh, for a car on your credit card versus an auto loan uh, is night and day. But... Um, Outside of the transaction fee, are there some ways that you may not be able to, you know, don't don't purchase the car with the card, but you can get an automotive credit card to help you in the purchase of a car in the future, like somebody who may have a, a GM credit card? Yeah, that GM credit card is interesting because you can earn rewards on everyday purchases and then later on perhaps use them towards the down payment on a vehicle. You have to do the math, though, because a lot of times you might be better off with just a general purpose cashback card. Um, so it's kind of like any of those affinity marketing programs. Store credit cards, for instance, if you're really loyal to the store, like you always shop at Amazon or Target or Walmart, and you love getting 5% cash back there, then maybe that makes sense. Other times it can be a little limiting and it's better to kind of play the field. Uh, similar to airlines, you know, there's general purpose transferable points cards that give you a lot of options. Or if you're really loyal to a specific airline, maybe you double down with them. Um, but you have to think about your individual purchasing habits. And then uh, very quickly, uh, everybody's been burning up their credit cards uh, the last couple of weeks doing all of their holiday shopping. Uh, if you do a lot of shopping, especially around this time of year, uh, what is a very good card that you could use to uh, maximize those rewards, whether it's travel or cash back or something else? I actually think most people like to keep it really simple. So it may sound a little plain vanilla, but I think for most people, a 2% cash back card might be the best way to go. Something like the City Double Cash or the Wells Fargo Active Cash, at least as a foundation. I mean, if you want to get fancy and layer in some other cards with higher earning categories, by all means, go for it. Or, or travel is great too. But I think most people, they just want to keep it simple. They want some extra cash. 2% back on everything is pretty good. Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. Still to come, Coca-Cola gets into the holiday movie game. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Coca-Cola is partnering with the production firm Imagine Entertainment to create three short holiday films. Let's talk about the strategy with Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Uh, miniature Christmas movies or short Christmas movies, uh, Coca-Cola's bankrolling it. Uh, what, will these, what are these movies about outside of Christmas and Coca-Cola? Well, I think that you nailed the two things in, in terms of kind of the themes. And, and if you think about it, yes, they're, they're kind of short movies, but uh, you flip that on its other side, they're kind of long ads. I mean, the movies are going to be about 10 to 12 minutes long. You know, Coca-Cola has kind of a, a, a history of doing these kind of heartwarming, heartwarming ads over the years around the holidays, you know, I, I remember the, the polar bear ads, which everybody loves. And, and what they're doing is basically kind of extending the short 60, 90 second ad into, you know, a 10 or 11 minute kind of feel good 
movie and and something that kind of translates not just in the U.S. but globally, which is a point that they made. They, these are not the the classic kind of hallmark Christmas movies, or at least that's what they say. These are movies that tend to yes use Coke as a, a product placement, but also kind of create a kind of a, a warm and fuzzy around Coca-Cola during the season. And, and Coca-Cola has always had kind of, a, 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 has been in and around the entertainment industry for decades. I mean, back in the 80s, Coca-Cola actually purchased Columbia Pictures. It had a TV production arm at one time. It sold Columbia to Sony for a tidy profit about 30 years ago. So it's it's been around entertainment. It's been a huge sponsor of entertainment events. But could this be the future of marketing? where instead of going to a content creator and just buying ads on a, a digital platform or a TV network or before movies, you actually just make the movie yourself? Well, I, I think that's certainly what they're kind of exploring with, with this is, is this going to be a direction they can go? And, and the thing is now, you know, whereas you know, 25 years ago, you know, you had fairly limited distribution outlets, right? It was network television. Now you've, you've got just a myriad of streaming services uh, that you can kind of produce these and then put them on those distribution channels. So, so it's a, it's another way of kind of exploiting the growth in streaming and where eyeballs are going to watch uh, to watch content. It's not just kind of the network television anymore. Obviously, it's it's all these streaming things and the fact that they're doing this. I believe with uh, Amazon, I believe, is who they're, they're partnering with, kind of indicates that, you know, this is another way to reach an audience uh, that, you know, they, they weren't going to reach on, on network television. Well, congratulations to Coca-Cola and to uh, Amazon and streaming services for uh, reinventing the Bell Telephone Hour. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> the streaming services have, have changed a lot of the, a lot of the ways we you know, not not just view content, but also see advertising for sure. And you're seeing more of those streaming services adding advertising so that, you know, more of this is going to be seen on those streaming services. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.